All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. in my office and I heard a rush. You describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? I'm in my prime. First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. What up everyone, DJ Nubis here with you. Hordes of Chaos, episode 114 of the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. I do apologize, I am running solo today. Uh, Neko is quite busy with work right now, so... Probably, you know, with everything that's going on with her and her mother and work and the new job and everything, uh, we noticed, just between both of us, running ourselves quite thin with the time that we were allotted. We were trying to get into some of these... Uh, YouTube channel uh, with some of these uh, YouTube channel personalities and it's just been very busy to be doing work around the house so uh, For this episode she wasn't able to free up any time. So as far as like our content uh, Her pick of the week and also our retro movie uh, DVD movie vault won't be done in this episode We're gonna hold that off till next episode, but she should be more freed up to come back um I also have a couple of guests on our next podcast, so we'll talk some NFL football. Very cool guys. I've known them a while. Big Bronco fans, so we're going to have them visit, and we're going to talk a little bit about football in there in that episode. But in this one, it's all noobs, all day, all night, whatever. Uh, so I've got a few different things to talk about. Um, I got a documentary called In Search of Darkness Part 2. I talked about the first one a few episodes back. Uh, I've got a movie review for a movie called Where, or W-E-R. Uh, it's a modern werewolf movie. I'll get into that. Uh, I want to talk about the series Invincible. That This is something I haven't really brought up. Neko has not checked it out, so it's all me. Um, I don't know if she's really going to be into checking it out, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I really enjoyed it, so I'm going to get into that a little bit. And uh, then I'm going to talk about the conclusion of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I've been holding off on this. I wanted to deal with Neko, but uh, she just, like I said, time is kind of a constraint right now. But uh, she, she, she should be back for the next episode. I know you guys will miss her. Um, 
a lot of new music to get to you, of course. Uh, got some classics thrown in there, sprinkle a little bit. Got some uh, Angel Rising, uh, Worm Light. Uh, let's see, in a rock block, I got some Black Whiskey, High and Heavy, uh, Red 11. Also got new stuff from Nunslaughter, uh, Bushido Code, New Hideous Divinity, Crypts of Despair, and Wandar, uh, one of... One of my more favorite newer black metal bands that come out recently, I think their last record they released uh, a couple of years ago was one of my favorites of the year. It was a pretty good record. Uh, but let's get into the fray here. Uh, we're going to kick it all off with some Snake Pit. This is called Enduring Abyss.
looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and is highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find in other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you Right, DJ Nubis, back with you. Hordes of Chaos, the Metal Tab Radio Podcast, episode 114. Closing out that block, Angel Rising, Pull the Trigger, uh, provided by Music Records. Much appreciated for that. Thank you very much. Always love getting new music, and always love checking shit out. Uh, so, okay, so our first topic will be the doc, uh, In Search of Darkness Part 2. Uh, I talked a little bit about the first one and one of the complaints about the first one. It, now, before we get into all that, each doc is about four hours long, which is good because when you want to do a sense of history on something, you want to make sure that uh, you're being thorough and you're you're covering the ground like I, the first thing i think of now like believe it or not is if you never saw it or seen it uh there's a friday the 13th doc out there called crystal lake memories it's like six hours long but i'm telling you it's fucking worth it it's not up to date because it was put out before some of the other films had come out uh it goes all the way up to freddy versus jason though i think so Bottom line is, it's very worth it. It gives you a lot of history. There's a lot of the actors from that series in that. Now, In Search of Darkness kind of runs the same way. You, it's staying mainly with the 80s. And uh, basically, one of the things that uh, was a complaint about the first one was that it only touched on like the more well-known franchises and movies. And... Uh, and that's fine because those all have a major part of the history of horror movies and whatnot. But uh, one thing that uh, they did with the second one here is that they went and they started diving into some of the more or less known films, uh, which is good because we want to see that now. The doc also has commentary by icons like Linnea Quigley. Uh, Todd Savini, Freddie, uh, Freddie Krueger, Robert England, uh, Nancy Allen from uh, Dress to Kill, uh, which is one of the movies they kind of focus on, on a little bit as well. I I think the funny thing about both these docs though is that I'm not sure if I'm finding myself truly entertained by it all. Like I don't know if it's just because maybe I have. A better idea of the history there just because from growing up with it all um, there is a lot of interesting pieces in here um, you find out about like the fly too that the script was originally written differently uh, than what happened um, there was supposed to be like a, a pumpkin head prequel that never happened uh, Bill Mosley is in there uh, 
talking a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Bill Mosley was talking about how they were supposed to do like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, but only it was called like um, The Sawyers Take Manhattan. So it, <laughs> I don't know how well that would have been, but it was supposedly going to move the Sawyer family to a, a city. You know, we kind of saw this with uh, Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, where they took him out of the camp and brought him to the city and stuff like that. So I don't know if it was going to be that corny or whatever, but the doc has a lot of good stuff. You have Cassandra Peterson, who played Elvira, talking at it about things, about video games. One game that featured her, but it was really nothing about her. It was just her likeness was used. Um... There was an Atari game at one point that was based off Alien, but it was basically just like Pac-Man. It was that's how it was designed. <laughs> so there's a lot of cool stuff in here. Um, again, though, like I don't know what it is that's uh, that's missing from it because I don't know. I don't know if it's maybe it's just because it's still dealing with a lot of the more well-known horror like. Yeah, you have Night of the Demons, Return of the Living Dead, Dress to Kill. Um, I think people, at least me, you know, I'm still kind of wanting, and maybe they'll just keep going with these dogs. They can do a third one. That's not a big deal. I'd still watch it, but maybe that's part of the problem is they're still just concentrating so much on the more well-known stuff. I mean, they did touch on Argento's Inferno a little bit, uh, stuff like that. Uh, but I don't think they even got into, like, phenomena or anything like that um if they did it wasn't very long but yeah yeah i don't know like i'm just i'm really ready for them for a doc that's just going to spend time with all the underground stuff um let's talk about like humongous uh it doesn't matter if it's a good movie or not just you don't really hear them talking about that kind of stuff uh they did touch a little bit on the burning which is cool that's something we hadn't seen before uh, that's a movie that's very underrated. I actually watched that for the first time a few months back, uh, not really knowing much about it. So what I did find is that there's a lot of big names in that that would go on to be uh, big stars later on. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, yeah, so it, it's four hour, four and a half hour runtime. The review that I'm looking at, you know, it's the guy's saying that he really liked and it went by fast. I kind of felt like it was dragging a little bit. I was like, the first one kind of went by fast for me, but the second one was dragging. And I don't know if it's just because I wasn't as interested. Like, they just kind of kept going back to the same stuff over and over. In terms of movies, you did you did see a little bit of Nine Seven Six Evil in there, uh, which is directed by Robert Englund, which I that's new to me too. I just wasn't paying attention when I'd seen it. I've watched it like two or three times and just never really paid attention to that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, you know, there's the cool thing about it is they do go by year by year. So basically, they go 1980 and then they start going through some movies uh, and, and so on and so on. Uh, yeah, so, I, I don't know, like, just, I would check it out, it's on Shutter right now, if you have it, uh, usually these, these docs get released, like, either through DVD, or you have to do them on, I don't think they were on demand, I think it's just DVD, like, that's how I wasn't able to watch it before, because I didn't order them, uh, then they came on Shutter, and then I finally, okay, I'll watch it here, so, 
it is available there if you're interested in watching it. They touch on stunt films, like I said, Inferno, Tarot Train, um, Graduation Day, Alone in the Dark, stuff like that, um, Night of the Demons, stuff like that. So definitely worth a checking out. It was a pretty decent doc. I mean, it does give you a lot of cool information, especially if you're a novice to uh, horror movies, and especially the 80s horror movies. So, if you're someone who's looking for background info and trivia type stuff, that's something to check out. Now, before we get into our next block, like, I discovered that Les Claypool of Primus was part of a, a prog thrash heavy metal band called Blind Illusion. I did not know this. Never did. Um, for those of you who remember back when Cliff Burton died from Metallica, Claypool was somebody they were considering for the, the to fill in, and I'm like, you know, I only knew Claypool through Primus, so like, for me, thinking about that at the time that I heard about him, like, that really makes no sense, like, it just, he doesn't play thrash, like, it, it isn't something that I, I heard him playing in his Primus stuff. Um, but part of Blind Illusion, uh, which also consists of Larry Ladonde, who is also part of Primus, uh, this record they put out, uh, fuck, uh, the, what is it, the same? God damn, I gotta figure out what it was. <sighs> Sorry, guys. Um, oh, the same asylum, okay, so, that's the name of the record. Uh, but they were playing a mixture, of course, the prog, but I saw, like, a live video, and it's kind of grainy, but Claypool, you know, was there kind of doing his bass beats, like he would do in Primus, only it was more incorporated into this thrash structure. And, uh, I thought that was cool. I can't remember the reasons why they said the band didn't last. I think they said that, at the time, they weren't really accepted as a thrash band or a heavy metal band in that vein. Because uh, they were doing a lot of different things, which makes total sense. Because, you know, Claypool is very uh, creative in terms of how he wants to play his music. So, being, bringing in his bass structure and his playing the way he did, uh, I can see why that might happen. Although, later on you have bands like Atheist and Cynic and all of them that are doing strange things in music as well. So, maybe they were just kind of ahead of their time there. Uh, what the connection with Metallica that I didn't know about and I've learned is one, uh, you know, Kirk Hammett was the one who produced the, the record for them. So that totally makes sense to me now why he would be considered for that. I never would have believed that. Uh, I never even heard of that band until now. Like, it's, it's really weird. Like, and I always kind of pride myself on knowing a lot of the old obscure bands that people don't really know about. Uh, so this is one of those moments where I got a teaching moment about <laughs> Les Claypool and Blind Illusion. So uh, I did pull up a track for them. Then I'm going to kick off this next uh, block with it. It wasn't really intentional, but I have Metallica, an old classic Metallica song after. It just wasn't intentional, but <laughs> this is where we are with that. That's just how it's going to be. Uh, Metallica was always going to be in the playlist. Blind Illusion was like a late comer, so... Uh, we're going to kick out this next block, which also features a track by Geotopia called Spawn of Abaddon by Hard Life Promotion. Uh, much appreciated. 
But we're gonna kick it off with Blind Illusion. This is Vengeance as Mine. So check it out. If you got any comments or uh, critiques or uh, opinions, let me know. What do you think about it? Here we go.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Alright, I am back. Correction on that Blind Illusion track, it wasn't Vengeance is Mine, and the song was called Vicious Vision, so I apologize for that. Closing out that block, Geotopia, Spawn of Abaddon from their latest release. And we're going to get into the movie review for Where, or Where, whatever, Werewolf. As you all know, big werewolf fan guy here, uh, so I'm always looking for more modern day werewolf movies that I think are good or can entertain me as much as the classics like Howling and you know American Wolf in London, Bad Moon, shit like that. So I'd seen this movie as a recommendation occasionally when I go on these horror apps and stuff like that and read the synopsis about it which is basically a defense attorney begins to suspect that her client who is charged with the murders of vacationing family might be more than meets the eye. Uh, that basically nails it down. You've got a guy, well I should say you've got an American family who is visiting France uh, and while they're camping out they're filming and all of a sudden they're attacked by something. And the father, the kid are killed and then the mother is like savagely almost torn apart but she survives. Um, the gore effects are fucking amazing in this, I'll put that, I'll put it that way. Um, so then, in comes, uh, Kate Moore, who's portrayed by A.J. Cook. Uh, if you don't know her, she's been in, the most role that I remember from is the TV series Criminal Minds. She's, like, the blonde in that, very hot, very good looking, uh, stunning chick. Um, so she is, again, playing a similar role here. Uh, coming in and she's handling the case for a gentleman named Talon who has been picked up on the murder charges and you know she's Kate Moore is trying to figure out why he did it they're trying to see if he's got some sort of disease like he's all he's he's all disheveled his hair he's got a beard he's looks like he's been living out in the woods for like ages <laughs> so he's all dirty and grimy and uh so she's trying to see if there's some other underlying issues of why he may have done this or they're going to try to clear him so they're taking blood tests and all this other stuff. But at some point, he he does suffer from a disease known as perforia. I forget what that really is, but as they're doing these tests, he freaks out and kills, like, the doctors and then escapes. So, like, and it's not pretty. Like, he's pretty fucking strong. Uh... The movie also has um, Sebastian Roche, uh, who plays Klaus Pistor, who's a detective uh, on the case. And then also uh, Kate Moore's uh, companion, or companions, or, or Gavin Fleming, Simon Quarterman, who's like also a former love. And then um, Eric Saren, portrayed by Vic Sahay, who, if you remember the TV show Chuck... He's the guy that played Lester. So he's like one of the comedy relief guys from that. With uh, Jester, the, the two-man band that they had at that time in that show. Uh, very enjoyable series. I loved that a lot. 
So he's in this, which was a nice surprise. Um, I'm going to spoil a little bit. His death scene's brutal. Brutal. Um, so Talon is out escaping her. I mean, but now we start to learn that as the movie goes on that Talon can fucking, like, do a lot of, like, he's almost invincible. Like, it's crazy. And so we start to learn that he actually is a little more than he says he is. And, um, and to me, this movie, this is kind of where it kind of loses me a little bit. I almost would have liked it more if they didn't even go down the supernatural route. Like, and it's, it's, I don't think they really ever explain why he is, he is. Maybe I just missed it because I was kind of in and out of the movie as far as, like, checking in and paying attention. But, you know, there's no real transformation. You do have a little bit of things going on with their eyes and, like, they get, like, you know, long fingernails. But uh, there isn't anything that's a definitive, like, wolfman or werewolf transformation, which was disappointing. Again, I would just, I'd love to see that. Um, there is a little twist at the end where Gavin, who is uh, Kate Moore's former fling, and, you know, he's been trying to get back together with her, but at the day that they're at the uh, precinct and they're doing these tests, uh, it was the same day that they, they didn't catch it till later on that Gavin was actually bit by Talon before he escaped. And uh, Eric, uh, Vic Sahay's uh, character, picked up on it when he was watching the video. But they really, at that time, they really didn't even know what was going on. They don't know what the deal is. They'll know uh, that there's a virus. and But he saw that there were changes within Gavin that were happening. And towards the end, we have like this standoff between Talon and Gavin that comes to a conclusion and then whatnot, but I think there's some things in this movie that they try to do right and then there's other things that just don't do right. And You've heard me talk about it before. With werewolf movies it's it's really kind of all or nothing for me. It's like either you dive all in or you don't. And I get it, like, it's very difficult to, especially in the age of CGI, to try to do great special effects with werewolf transformations and whatnot. Um, I don't know. If I'm going to fucking fork over a movie to, uh, an, an, uh, you know, a company to make a movie for me, and I don't care what the budget is, but a good portion of that's going to go to fucking, like, special effects and it's old school stuff I'm not relying on CGI I know it's cost effective but if I'm someone who's been charged of putting together a new kind of werewolf movie that's where I'm putting my money <laughs> I can get the worst actors on the planet but my fucking werewolves are going to look like fucking werewolves I'm telling you um, I'm not going to take it away from this movie they, they do try to be original about it which you can't really fault them for uh, it's, it is entertaining. I mean, I, it's to a point it's entertaining. It just, again, I'm, I'm always disappointed when I don't really get the, the finish, you know, I don't get the finish. I don't get the, the money shot that I want. So check it out. I believe it's on Amazon Prime right now. Um, if not, you're going to see a lot of familiar faces. That's pretty good. You'll see some of the faults that I did. Hell, you might even more enjoy it more than me. But uh, 
good concept, just not total execution on it. But uh, certainly worth a, a one-time look for you werewolf kind of guys who like the lore and myths of it all. Um, I will say Sebastian Rush also, he's part of the Supernatural TV series with the uh, Rochester boys, Sam and uh, what's-his-face, I forget. <laughs> Neko's going to kill me because that's like one of her favorite shows. <laughs> but um, check it out. For, it's good for our one-time jam for sure. All right, let's get back into our music. Got some Nihilum. I These guys sent me their track uh, through email not too long ago, so I got them in there. Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce this other band, but Metal Message sent me another band. That, it's Antrish, I guess. I, I'm so bad at this. Uh, this one won't be a problem, though. The one kicking it up by Quabar uh, PR is uh, Wormlight. This is Fate Weaver. Check it out. Because not Joe Bob, but Anubis says so.
Hey everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. About that time, folks, for the rock block. Got some black whiskey, high and heavy, witch seeker, red 11, crimson glory, and kicking it off some illusions of grandeur with down. Check it out. We'll be back in a little bit.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite comic breeding lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw and real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace Let's run this night away
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Closing out the rock block, Red 11 with Handle with Chaos. Throwing a little bit of uh, industrial in there with that. So I want to get to a TV series that initially I didn't know much about until, of course, I always pay attention to Fat Samurai Guy and some, in fact, Rick and Stephen Smith, who uh, will be visiting us on the next podcast, uh, are also watching this particular series. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, too. It's called Invincible, and it's an animated cartoon about superheroes. And But it's different than what you would compare to most, like, you know, cartoon superhero shows back when you were young or whatever. Um, not quite anime, but um, the closest thing I can compare it to would be The Boys from Amazon Prime's show, which that's like... Uh, more real life characters in that as far as like people actually portraying the heroes in the boys but this particular series invincible is kind of the same vibe uh it's dark it's funny um but it, it very catches you uh by surprise in a few things so let me just give you a synopsis of what it's really about basically you have uh a young man, young teenager named Mark Grayson, uh, played by Stephen Ewan, who did Mayhem, which is one of my favorite films in recent years. Uh, he's the son of a guy named Nolan um, Grayson, who is secretly Omni-Man. He's like the world's version of Superman. Strong, invincible, just badass all the way around. And... Omni-Man marries a human woman who is Mark's mother and you know obviously Mark is going to be getting his power soon as he's around 17 at this stage so he ends up getting his powers one day after working at his burger joint that he was just doing it you know as a teenager job getting money and whatnot discovers his powers and finally broke through so now he's he's all excited and in the midst of all this, Omni-Man kind of works solo, so he just kind of does his own thing. He has connections to the government and whatnot, um, but the government itself has their own team, their own Justice League. It's called the Guardians of the Globe. So they mainly handle all the shit that's going on. Omni-Man kind of just does his own thing. He pops up here and there and helps out whenever he can. So... Mark finally gets his powers, and his dad's going to start, you know, his dad's kind of excited and wants to start teaching him how to use them, how to fly fast, uh, how to use his strength and speed, and he's, you know, he's got a lot of the same characteristics that his dad has. Um, the show, basically, I think it's like eight or nine episodes, it basically just, um, shows like mark himself he isn't able to join like the guardians at first like as far as like helping out so what he does there's other superhero factions so we have this 
this other group called the Teen Team of younger superheroes that go out on their own at their own click and do whatever they can. They're not on the scale of the Guardians of the Globe or Omni-Man, but Mark kind of, you know, reluctantly kind of joins in with them, and there's, you know, the teeny bop issues, but Mark discovers that one of the teen uh, superheroes is someone from his school, so he's kind of excited about that, so he's trying to learn more about what to do. So he's, he's kind of caught between wanting to go out and immediately make an impact versus take advice and training from his dad. He does a little bit of both, but obviously there's like a a love triangle between Mark and his girlfriend Amber, and then of course uh, the young teen uh, superhero woman. I forget her name at the moment, but she has an interest in him as well. So there's like this tension there with that. Um, but what ends up happening with this show is that it ends up taking, like, a dark turn. Like, you wouldn't expect it. Like, everyone... Like, I, I remember watching the first episode, and I didn't get to quite to finish it. So I was probably about, like, five or ten minutes done from the end of it before I went to do something else. Like, I just... I either... I don't want to say I lost interest, but I wasn't sure I was picking up on what it was everyone was crowing about. And... I'm going to give a little, a little bit of a spoiler because I need to hook you in. Because this is a series that you need to check out because it's really good. But without doing this and giving you this particular information, you probably just would do the same thing I did and say, okay, this seems like your standard superhero animated show. Don't get it. So what we find out, and I'm not going to give any more beyond this, at the end of episode one, what we discover is uh, the Guardians of the Globe are called back to their main headquarters. And at first, they all think that each other had requested them all show up. So they're all kind of talking to each other, like, well, I thought you asked me to come here. I got your text or whatever. And you're like, no, I didn't do it. So who who had us come here? And then all of a sudden, they're under attack by Omni-Man. And there's a lot of fighting. Uh, but Omni-Man, like the gore and... <laughs> He, he's just tearing people up and like each one of the guardians have their own special skill set so it's kind of neat how Omni Man figures a way to defeat them and I forget the lead guy he kind of ends up making an appearance later in the series because they somehow revive him but he really gives him a run for his money but Omni Man is just too much man I mean he's literally like he, he like <laughs> bitch slaps his hands together and like squashes a head here and there and it just tears their bodies up and I think the last battle he kind of knocks himself unconscious so when the government shows up they think that Omni-Man is the only survivor of like an attack on all the Guardians uh, so here's where the intrigue and the secrecy and the uh, plot th thickens as they say like you need to figure out what's going on why is Omni-Man doing this and why is he hiding it now in the midst of all this as the series goes on Mark is still trying to find his way in the superhero world he's got his outfit on now he calls himself invincible uh, as far as like the wife she has a part because she notices uh, a change in Omni-Man in some ways just because of how he behaves. Uh, 
and also because there's at one point he's not even in the, the show very long. He's he's a demon, but he's like a he's like Hellboy only he's a detective, and so he's very suspicious of Omni Man at first. So he's he's checking on the the remains of the fight at the uh, place of where they uh what the fuck am I trying to say here. Uh, headquarters for the Guardians, and so he's, you know, putting pieces together, and he's, he's very kind of subtle. He's not very um, human about the way he interacts, so it's very like callous, but he's very sure of himself. So he obviously tries to. He's he's already suspicious of Omni Man, and so at one point, this demon guy ends up like getting sent back to hell. Like they somehow Omni Man and the government decide they're gonna just put this guy on ice or in fire as they say for a while because they don't want him screwing up their investigation because they the government also suspects that Omni Man isn't being quite straight with them so it's a whole cat and mouse thing throughout the series um there's some very cool stuff where you have different villains who are part of the city that are fighting against Mark and the other teen uh teen team as they say, uh, you get some interesting characters. This one character who's like a a lion, sort of. He do, he doesn't he walks like a human, but he has like a lion head or, or something like that. And he hears like a big hammer. It's like Thor. Uh, he's a fucking tough motherfucker. Like <laughs> he does some business on Invincible uh, early on. So there's some characters I'd like to see come back. I know they're all like kind of they were arrested or something or put in some sort of uh, prison somewhere and then got out but um it's a good show and it's very uh engaging you just gotta stick with it that first episode because it, it kind of runs by the numbers and then it just hits you over the head with a hammer at the end um then that's when it had me hooked so Pretty cool. Oh, and I would say, uh, besides Stephen Yeun, uh, Nolan is played by the father. He's played by J.K. Simmons, who I'm a big fan of. Have you ever seen the movie Whiplash? He plays the uh, the band director in that, who you know is trying to teach the guy drums and all this stuff. And he's been part of the Closer, uh, other TV shows. He, he's in those um, commercials. Uh, fuck, what is it? It's insurance. You'll know what I'm talking about. He's the bald guy. He's very good with that. Uh, you'll recognize the voice right away. Um, but he's a very cool, good actor. I like him a lot. Has some other comedian actors in there as far as, like, you know, John Hamm does, like, a character in the first episode. Not He's not in there very long, but it's kind of funny. Either way, check it out. It's called Invincible. It's on Amazon Prime. Very worth it. And we're going to get back into some music here. I've got some ornamental uh, coming from in Metal Devastation Radio Promotions, Bushido Code, and we're going to kick it off some brand new stuff by Nunslaughter. I am death. E
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. Alright, DJ Nubis, back with you. Hordes of Chaos, episode 114 on the Metal Time Radio podcast. Gotta talk a little bit about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Caught the finale a couple weeks ago. Um, I know Neko probably wanted to do this discussion with me, but we've been holding on to the information for a while, so I'm just gonna get it out there and we're just gonna push forward. Um, before I get into like everything that the finale had and what it's really all about. I see people complaining about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, you're entitled to complain about stuff, obviously. It's all subjective. And just like music, uh, you're either going to like or dislike something. But I just find it interesting about the complaints, not only with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but WandaVision as well, when it comes to the Marvel series on Disney+. Plus, Like... It's probably going to happen the same way with Loki and, you know, some of the other ones that are going to come out. I think people are just becoming impatient with, like, the series versus the movies. When you have movies, you only have so much time to get the content in. It's a one-shot, one-kill type of deal. TV series can oftentimes lead to six and seven seasons. So you have to allow the storylines and the characters and everything to breathe a little bit. And so one of the problems that people had WandaVision was it didn't just jump right into the action or anything. It was building up to something. Falcon and Winter Soldier, kind of the same way. Uh, It did get into action earlier, but like... The thing is, like, I hear people, or read about it anyway, where they're like, you know... they're too slow at getting to the points and you know we don't see enough of this and that and I'm like give it time man like this is the kind of stuff that kind of needs air to breathe like if you're gonna build upon these characters that were oftentimes secondary characters both Falcon and Winter Soldier were not the focus of any Marvel movie and uh even Loki who's gonna have his own show as well was not like a sole focus like he was obviously a main villain but it wasn't like the movies themselves were focused on him they were just focused on either thor or iron man and the avengers so the fact that you're giving some of these other characters a life of their own is good and i think it it takes some time to get into some of the stuff because they're trying to build something to build upon it and even though the finale has I mean, look, both WandaVision and Falcon have their issues. Like, you know, we're still kind of dealing with the woke culture and all this, 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 and that. But I haven't found any of those to be a real detriment or a real problem in the series. Now, the finale, there is one point that I'll get to that I think kind of drags on, which most people will agree with. But for most of it, I really have no problem with it. Like... I'm 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 mainly there to enjoy the action, the the fictional stories, and everything else. If you if you're someone who goes into these looking for real life issues and address this and that, 
I don't even know how you're enjoying anything because to me that's not the enjoyment part of it. I want to escape all that bullshit. I realize that you use some of that as storyline plots. It makes sense. But if you're trading the entertainment part of it for uh, political reasons or whatever, then you're doing it wrong. Period. There's no discussion with that with me. I'm not here. If you want me to watch a doc about, you know, some of the racial issues in the country or, you know, some of the uh, income, uh, stuff like that, you know, lower income and all that, I'll watch that for a specific reason. I, when I watch superhero movies, I want to watch it to get away from that. I want I want to enjoy and have fun with it. Uh, I don't need to be told, uh, you know, this character is okay to do this because of this. Uh, and I'll get to some more of that in the finale as well. Basically, Falcon, if you don't know, uh, at the end of Endgame in the movies... Uh, Captain America, obviously, he decided to stay back when they were going through the timelines to pick up the the gems and all that, uh, the power stones, and he stayed back so he could stay with Agent Carter, who he fell in love with back in whatever it was the 40s or 50s that he was there. Um, so, as an old man, he gave the shield to Falcon and told him that someone needs to lead the country as Captain America from then on. So he basically... Uh, Bucky, who was his best friend, had actually kind of passed on it. Like just, he saw it kind of at the end of the end game that he was just kind of like... Uh, you know, it wasn't really him. He had a lot of issues he had to get through. Bucky did. And so he gave the nod to Sam. And Sam went and got the shield. Now, kicking off this series... Sam was still uncomfortable with that role for many different reasons, and one of them was that one, he's black, and would he be accepted as Captain America? Two, uh, he still had a, a lot of love for uh, Steve Rogers, who was Captain America, so like the fact that he felt like that he couldn't live up to what Steve was, and here's the other th the twist and all that is that Sam isn't like a superhuman. He's just a regular guy, but he has like this, you know, tech around him, uh, sort of like Iron Man. So for him to become Captain America, maybe he just felt like he would be a little short in that department. But with Bucky, uh, you know, he's battling demons from his being mind controlled by Hydra and becoming an assassin for so long so he's working out his personal issues to try to overcome that uh, while he was in Wakanda they did kind of put him through uh, basically stripped his mind down and, and kind of rebuilt him up uh, and even through his doubts you know he because there was trigger words that would set him off into, you know, assassin mode. And so, finally, when the Wakandians finally, like, tested him, it didn't it didn't set him off. And he was really, it was really kind of an emotional moment there because he was happy while crying that he didn't just flip off and go into assassin mode. So, but in his mind, he's still dealing with the demons of the people he's killed, uh, including Iron Man's parents. So... He's dealing with all that. Sam's dealing with the issues about whether or not to carry on the shield. And when Sam gives the shield to the museum to put it away, 
their surprise at the end when we I think we kind of talked about this when we discussed the first episode uh, you know they're kind of shocked that the government went ahead and made a new Captain America anyway and so that ended up being uh, John Walker I think that's his first name Walker anyway um, he becomes Captain America and of course we all know what happened with him flipping out and he got the juice and now he's a super soldier but he's not, now he's just agent US agent I guess um, so in the midst of all this we have this group of little group of uh, I call them terrorists uh, nowadays people like uh, freedom warriors revolutionists whatever uh, they've taken the super serum so they, they're able to combat with some of the superheroes and whatnot as they try to change the world which they want to change it back to when the blip happened they, they, they thought it was a better world when 50% of the population was gone um because that, what that meant was if you were homeless and you were still there, uh, you got a chance to go in and move into a mansion that wasn't even yours. That was that, You just had a house. That's all you know. You didn't have to pay for it, nothing. And they thought that was a better world. It you know, didn't matter what it did to families that were split up or to the economical part of the world. And, you know, as far as, like, did you have enough trash cleanup all this a lot of stuff was left behind that wasn't be able to get dealt with that no one wants to address but these freedom warriors uh the flag smashers i believe they call themselves they wanted to get it back to that point now how they were going to do it without having the blip happen i don't know uh obviously they were going around trying to tear down these government hierarchies and the u.s was one of them and so Sam and Bucky are here trying to chase down Carly, who's like the leader of the group, and try. Sam really was trying to like reason with her on a personal level, which at one point in the series he was almost able to do until Walker burst in trying to arrest her, and then shit just breaks loose, and then that led up to Walker flipping the fuck out because his friend got killed. Uh. So, at the end, uh, in the final episode, you know, everything's coming to a head. We, we finally get to a point where Sam and Bucky are catching up with Carly and them, and they've figured out that they're trying to take down this government meetup who's going to be talking about what's going to happen with the world and, you know, the borders and everything else, so... There's a big fight. Uh, Walker's there with his new persona. You know, they finally, I think at the end, um, we find, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, it was Carter's daughter who ends up coming there. And I can't remember if she's the one that shot. This is why I should have done this, like, the day, at the week of that finale, because I kind of forgot some of the details. But. Carly gets shot, and I don't think it's by Walker. I definitely think it's by Carter, because she's trying to hide her her secrets, because she's secretly the power broker who's been giving the serum to the Flag Smashers, and she's got an alternative motive that no one knows about. We just know that by the end of this series, 
she's already being accepted back into her government position, which she wasn't initially. Uh, but now that she is, and now she has access to anything, which she's clearly going to sell to the bidders and terrorists everywhere. So this is going to be an interesting point block going forward. But in order to protect her identity, she shoots Carly. And But there's a moral dilemma with Sam Falcon because he's bringing her body out and you know he's mad because she's dead like he understands he never agreed with her philosophy on how to go about making change but he understood it and so here it is she died and he's like really bummed about it and he's now surrounded by uh, some of the figureheads for the government who are very appreciative of them for him saving them. But now he's he goes on this, and this is where people get kind of uh, irked and irritated, is he goes on this long four-minute rant about the power struggles of, you know, racial inequality, uh, income equality. And so while the, there's truth in that, uh, people get kind of irked by this because you, you spend too much time worrying about this part of it that you're kind of missing point. And there's this article that was uh, I was reading brings up how Steve Rogers, when he would go on these similar kind of rants, he would keep it to like 40, you know, a minute or less. So here we are with four minutes of a diatribe by Falcon about, you know, this and that. Uh, as far as like sort of justifying Carly's cause and it's like you know it, it, to me it just it sends mixed messages like yeah we could do better things for people no doubt about it but when people are willing to kill other innocent people to get there uh, to me that's a deal breaker period I'm not one of those people that sees it both black and white with that like if you're willing to kill people who really have nothing to do with holding you down and yet you want to do it anyway that's a problem um, and that's sort of the thing here because Carly was she in her mind there was no other way to get through except for to kill like Captain America or kill innocent people uh, when we have laws and everything else so for her it was all about just you're going to die if you don't agree with me and even at the end there some of her own tribe her own group there were starting to doubt her motives like they all believed in the same thing but they were starting to doubt whether or not going the road she was was going to really be worth it or is the right path at all so so obviously again you know Sam's going on the the speech about what what should change and of course you know the the government heads were listening and they were piping in a little bit so, but it was like a back and forth. But, you know, obviously they were making it all about the whiteies. And, again, like, you know, not every government head is white. So, I mean, I wish they'd quit putting out the white demon uh, mantra they always do because it's very disingenuous to me. Uh, as people, you know, there's plenty of us uh, in all sorts of walks of life and work. And, you know, if you're going to start talking about the power struggles it's not just white people I've, I, I've told this people before as a delivery driver I've been in some of the nicest neighborhood in Maryland and it's predominantly black 
like half a million dollar home owned by black people. So whenever I hear people say, well, black people in Maryland are just held down to this, you know, ghetto standard, that's not entirely true. There's plenty of white people in the same problems that black people have. I just, I get so hurt by the one-dimensional, narrow-vision uh, mindset that, like, when you start going down that road with me, I turn you off. And I'm not trying to be an asshole. It's just that if you want to talk about equality and all this other stuff, I'm fine with that. But we've got to keep it on an even keel. You cannot just sit there and say it's all this way and not the other because my observations and my experiences in life have taught me differently. And I didn't mean to go on a political rant there. I know we don't like doing that. But this last episode kind of touches on a lot of things like that. And those are the things that kind of bother me when they try to force feed us this stuff in these shows. Like, I don't mind you bringing it to attention. In fact, there's a moment afterwards, uh, after his speech, that Sam brings a black soldier, older black soldier, who kind of got swept under the rug and thrown in prison for trying to help his own unit out, whereas Rogers was not arrested for helping his unit out when he did. So you get some of that life's lessons there about that. So Sam brings him, in, his, him and his two sons, I think, into the museum, and he actually had a, mu uh, a statue put up of this black man with, you know, his, his, uh, you know, his uh, military suit on and, you know, the information about what he did and how he did it. And it was really a very emotional thing, and it was really nice. And I, and it kind of changed. This older man was very bitter about a lot of stuff, uh, especially about America in general. This is the other thing about some of these shows is that there also seems to be this generality about anti-Americanism or anti-patriotism. Like, I get it. There's some people out there that are very racist, that are very... They use patriotism as a way to, like, hold people down, and that's wrong. But again, I don't think that... I think that's the minority and not the majority. And I think what happens is with our current setup, with our media and everything else, they, they, they do this on purpose to divide us. And I, I'm really disappointed in that, and I'm disappointed that people buy so much into it because we have to get beyond the media and what they want to try to do. Uh, we have to get beyond the point where the minority gets this platform that the media gives them and gives them a higher voice than those of us, the rest of us around here. You know, the thing is, guys like Obama, President Obama, wouldn't have gotten elected if America itself was racist. He just, it wouldn't have happened. So that's just peer proof to me that a majority of America is not racist. And so even though if there is some out there, I think we need to like keep it, on the level and keep it checked because we're allowing the media and even now the government still like to try to push these agendas that harm us more than help us. Uh, they always have something to complain about, which some of those complaints are legit, but they have very few answers about how to fix things, and that's the thing that's disappointing me. All right, so I'm going to say that again, you know. The, these these series, the first two seasons of WandaVision and Falcon are very good. Uh, they're a little bit different than what you got in the movies because the movies are just throwing everything at you under the sun and it's all action, all fun. These are meant to be taken a little bit more um, 
seriously to a point where they're just diving into more personal issues and it, it's character building and you gotta allow that to happen you gotta allow it to breathe and and to build itself i think in this day and age we're not going to be able to avoid all the wokeness that comes with this stuff it just happens i mean it's going to be a part of our society now with movies and entertainment uh all you can hope for is that they find a way to kind of balance it out to where it's not dominating in one fact or the other uh but as far as entertainment i still get it like i still like i'm a big winter soldier fan like i didn't even realize how much of an impact that character actually had till i was reading up on it when i first saw winter soldier in the movies uh i just thought it was such an intriguing character I thought, man that'd be cool if that guy became like a good guy and it's sure enough that's sort of how it plays out so uh that was really fun for me like i really liked it now he's considered white wolf um i don't know when they're gonna go with that particular name maybe next season i don't know maybe give him a new look his his new arm is fucking fantastic um but yeah you know i i just it's a good series uh give it a chance um it's got a lot of possibilities like with walker and with agent carter there's a lot of good stuff I think that can happen through this and the new look for Falcon is Captain America is fucking awesome um, as I said before though because there was talk that Chris Evans maybe wanted to come back as Captain America so I don't know if they're going to work that in I don't know how that's going to play out um, I really like Evans as Captain America so if they find a way down the road to bring it back in through a different timeline, that'd be pretty cool. Um, some people are a little bit frustrated with all the timelines because it does create a lot of different conundrums because you can basically do anything now. With Loki disappearing, he can go anywhere. And we saw through the trailer of Loki that, you know, there's a little glimpse of, looked like Black Widow, uh, still in that soul space I guess that where she died and uh, you know chances are Loki could probably bring her out of that because he has pretty godlike powers so with the different timelines we could very well see Black Widow reappear which again would be pretty cool I think that Scarlett Johansson does a very good job with that character and I actually look forward to the Black Widow movie I'm sure that that's a prequel of some sort because it seems to go back to her, her past which is nice Although, yeah, I don't know if it's just a storytelling of her past or... I'm assuming it is. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about the comics to really know where that timeline places itself. But I'm assuming it's a prequel to everything that happened in Avengers. Because obviously she's dead at this point. Um, but definitely check it out. Disney Plus. Um, the, the only problem with Disney Plus a lot of times is once these shows are over, I'm kind of done with the, the app itself because there isn't anything else. But for this, Loki, WandaVision, Mandalorian, you know, it, it's really good. I just, as far as everything else in their content, I've seen just about every Star Wars and all the other stuff. So it's not like I don't really find myself revisiting that stuff too much. Um, I would revisit the Marvel stuff. Um, I'm, you know, I, I'm really a fan of that stuff, so... That's not a problem there. I know they have the Eternals Season 2 coming up, so that's going to be fun. That first one's pretty good. I don't know much about it, but looks pretty good. All right. We're going to get ready to run through the gambit now to close this bitch out.
I know it's kind of a shorter show today, but without my sidekick to give me more input, uh, I could just press forward. <clears throat> Kicking off the next block, brand new Hideous Divinity. This is called Chest Burst. Show. 
Alright. I'm back. Getting ready to close out this episode of the Hordes of Chaos. Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, as I said, next week we'll have a couple of guests to talk a little bit about football. Got some other topics to discuss. We'll probably get to our DVD movie vault again. I have a pick in place, so we'll Neck and I will get to that sometime this week and then be ready to go for the next podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. We'll see you all next time. Brand new stuff from Wondar to close it out. And take care of yourselves, man. Peace.